It's 420 on a Sunday, and that means that you're tuned in to the Activist Hour. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. My name is Tom. You can find me at CanvasIndustryLawyer.com, and I'm going to bring on my co-host, uh, Miggy, and our guest, Chris Martin. How are you doing, guys? Good. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Miggy, you, uh, you brought Chris on. Why don't you, why don't you give some backstory? Yeah, so I know Chris's story as being a Arizona prisoner. Uh, I used to live in Arizona, Chris, and Tucson. And uh, people ask me when I out here in Washington, do I regret? Because right when I left is when medical happened out there. And uh, I think like, no, because Washington scene was quite lovely out here. But right. you were part of the early medical uh, in, in Arizona days. And that's kind of how you got caught up in some bullshit, right? Um, I believe you had Zonka bars. Yes, sir. And then yeah, I was one of the first edible companies out here. And you're a big proactive uh, with normal. I know Stacy Theus, you, you guys would be doing uh, um, the cannabis big supporter. Uh, again, you've been supporting uh, our efforts raising money for the past three years at Hempfist, which is, you know, with donations. We last year we raised uh, 1500 with Tom. Uh, he was there present with us. And uh, um, awesome. what uh, so what else? How did your story go down that you got raided and eventually yeah. served six years in goddamn prison? Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's a long time ago. And with Crohn's comes a lot of medical issues. I've been through Humira, Balisalicide, all these things, um, experimental drugs, and all this crazy stuff. And as I realized that my body was dying, I had to make a change. Uh, I'd always used cannabis. Cannabis had always been a part of my life just as a smoking, you know, social thing anyway. Um, but as I started to read and study, and eat it and make RSO and really help myself heal, I realized that, you know, everyone needs to do this. So 2010, Arizona went legal with medical and uh, my wife and I both became caregivers. We were allowed to grow 12 plants each, but there was a catch. You could only have two and a half ounces of finished product. So Whoa. once my- That yeah. doesn't make any sense. Nice little ambiguous law there, trick bag. Yeah, and get well, you, you were in Arizona, right? Yes, sir. So, like, didn't Arizona is one of the most, if not the most, notorious state for uh, the ballot initiative gone wrong in the sense that 1996 <laughs> or 1997, the people of Arizona actually passed medical cannabis, but the legislature didn't like it. And so it failed in 2003, right? Somewhere. Yes, there. sir. And then they finally got it in 2010. Right. We finally got it in 2010, yet a dispensary didn't open until 2013. See, so we were just like, it's not the legislature that's doing it. The people are telling the legislature what to do. And they're like, meh. When we get to it. <laughs> exactly. When we get to it, right. Well, Arizona's got a so, huge uh, Republican uh, uh, fear mongering. I know Tucson, at least. And, and Chris, uh, what part of Arizona are you in? Because I know. Yeah. Like in Tucson, the cartels had a heavy hand in um, right. just operations. Well, I, I got busted in Yavapai County, so I was underneath Sheila Polk's watch. Oh, um, I was the perfect, uh, what, what would my lawyer say, babe in the woods? I, I, was, I was that kid that was in the gray areas, starting to push the envelope about the law and the rules, uh, but also a very easy target to be made an example out of. So when my wife and I harvested our 24 plants, we had 
you know, well close uh, to 25 you mean you pounds. Over the two and a half ounces with 24 plants? <laughs> I don't know how I did it. It must have been those, all, all those books I read. <laughs> so that law pretty much yeah. for failure. Fuck. Absolutely. So we turned it into an edible. I, instead of just slinging it on the street, uh, I started making edibles out of it to where we could go to collectives, compassion clubs, anybody where there were patients that were looking for meds and good meds. We could get it to them. So that's how I met Stacy. That's how I got involved with a lot of organizations because they pointed me in the right direction where to put these meds. And uh, as soon as we got busted, uh, it just kind of started the downward spiral from that point. Was that the Zonka bars? That's the Zonka bars. Yes, sir. Without divulging the secret recipe, can you describe what's in a Zonka bar? Yeah, we have six different flavors of Zonka bar. And... uh, we have half of them that are made with distillate, the other half that are made like the old school days back with decarb keef, where you still got the plant flavor and matter and full wow. spectrum and all that good Delicious. stuff. Uh, um, but now we do truffles and all kinds of neat stuff Ooh. too that we've added to the menu. Um, Zonka Bar was kind of that representative, you know, the spinoff of Wonka. We were all sitting around a table stoned one day and I had a sweet tart label that was laying on the table. When they ripped it open, the W turned into a Z, and literally we were like, oh, shit, there we are. Let's go do this. And the next day I was at the at Michael's buying candy molds, trying my luck at the, the edible game. You're, you're down, though, because you said you got busted after medical? Yeah, after medical. So we had been in business for a year. We were getting all our products out and known to the public where we had a lawyer. We filed an LC. We had a business set up. We, had, you know, we were trying to follow the books the way it went. Um, I, there was a couple things going on, you know, a crooked law in Arizona with a really crooked county attorney, but I also shook hands with the wrong person. A guy approached me by the you name of Todd James. The wrong person. What the, what the, I mean, yeah, I'm going to curse. What the fuck? Is this like the Sopranos <laughs> or something? It's like, oh, you shook hands with the wrong guy. That's <laughs> We're sending you to prison. What the fuck? You know, this is capitalism or not. Well, no, I actually had a partner. I had a partner that I thought had the same vision that we had, and that was helping patients. Yeah, of course, we all want to make a little money. we got to pay our bills and our staff and that stuff. But this guy took it a step farther. He wanted to not only sell our products outside the lines and the laws of the way it went, but he kept all the cash. He embezzled all the money. He didn't want to give anything that was owed to us back to us. So as we're draining. In in business, Yiddish, the word is ganif. He was a ganif. All right. Absolutely. He was a piece of garbage. He, he was, you know, I'd, I'd noticed that a thousand pieces were missing in a week. So I'd set him down. What's going on? Where's the product? Oh, I'm consigning it. We've got new dispensaries open. You're on net 30. As soon as they get rocking, you're going to get paid. So, you know, of course, it sounds reasonable. I'm down with that. As long as we got some revenue coming in, we're good. Flash forward four months later, I've got nothing. I'm out of all my flour. I'm out of all my product. I've got no money. And all of a sudden now we can't even access our own bank account. That we've opened up with this guy, huge red flag. So we start. Well, yeah, but uh, I'm sorry about being that large, but that's going to also start tipping off because if you had a bank, I mean, if you're in the industry 10 years ago, that's really ballsy um, because that was when the industry was fresh. And so if you're in the industry and somebody else is screwing around, people are just going to shut you down, man. Or, well, you know, exactly. when we got into it in the beginning, it was actually less ballsy then than it is now because even the banks didn't know what to say no to. Yeah. So if you're starting off as an LLC that's a catering company and you're running your business under it, nobody knows nothing. And it's not that we're trying to bend the rules or anything. We There were no rules. We didn't know what the rules were. Yeah. Nobody said that you're going to walk in there and get a bank account. We, we know the rules that 
federally that there's no way you're going to get that approval. So we just said, screw it. We, we own a catering company. We're going to run everything under the catering company, live it that way, and we'll get paid. The main problem was is the guy never brought the money back. He took the money and kept going. So I, cool. threat, I threatened to pull my company and said, look, we're not partners anymore. I'm done. I'm shutting this down. And within three days, we were raided. What I didn't know is that that guy had taken $1,000 worth of my candy, drove up two hours up the mountain to Prescott in my backyard, and made a sale with an undercover cop that he had been warned about twice. Oh, So we got... We kept getting emails, you know, where detectives try to reach out and act like they're undercover and you can't pick them out. We well, every like, email that like, they, do they ever like order a very strange amount? Of, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. Anyone that'll call you and one grams of cannabis, please. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And wow. that's exactly how the email read. It was so red flaggish. It was stupid. I didn't even think I needed to sit down and explain it, but I did. I grabbed everybody and said, hey, look, this is the kind of shit we're trying to avoid. This is why we follow the rules. And partner decided that it was more important to go make the profit on it. So he emails the guy back behind everybody's back, drives up the hill, makes the sale and gets busted on camera selling to the cops. Um, essentially within four days, that means they come and raid me because this dude points at me yeah. and tells them that I'm the one that made the call for him to go make the sale. And what's unfortunate is this dickhead's still out there, right? I mean, it, he is. Yeah. It, it, it's a problem with like, this is why I kind of have small appreciation for Washington's recreational I-502 because what that does is give you guys rights. You know, you who decide to be in the business of like run a store, run an edible contracts and all this other stuff. At least you have some recourse, you know, there's still, debates like uh, there's a security company out here that uh i think it's out here but they decided to deny their employees overtime because they were working with cannabis which you know they're like well it's still federally illegal so we we don't we're not obligated to by the law because you know for your overtime whereas in washington as a washington state citizen uh you're you're covered you know you got protections um this is yeah. some bullshit i know this guy's still out there didn't he try while you were locked up to, to pass out zonka bars too like brand <laughs> that shit yes so story gets even weirder because I decided to fight the case. I I didn't sell to cops. I didn't get us in trouble. I own the business. But next thing I know, I'm sitting on trial for 15 felonies looking at over 100 years in prison because these guys want to tag me with gang charges because I rode in a motorcycle club and everything else. Well, not to mention that this guy's attorney and him were both involved on the whole setup from not just the plea bargain, but all the way down to the LLC. So when I got busted, I owned Zonka Bars LLC. The state came in, shut that LLC down. They seized all our property. They shut our businesses down. I get back out on bond and I open up Zonka Gear. And that is another LLC that I just tried to stay in business with. A way that I could stay relevant. A way I could feed my family and keep things rolling. Well, within about a year and a half of fighting my case, I get a phone call from my brother out in Virginia. And he says, hey, man. I think you need to check your LLCs out online. So we go to the corporate commission. I check it out. And all of a sudden, there's a whole new LLC out there called Zonka Meds. I click on it. It just so happens it's my co-defendant. It's my partner that I hired as the chef when we got raided. And it's the defense trademark violation. Just I need that brand, and I've taken it. Yeah, yeah. I also want the corporate protection, so I'm filing for an LLC. I mean, it's just – Right, and, and they filed it through – they went through Denmark. They tried to do an overseas setup. They tried to trademark the whole thing. I mean, you name it. They they went. the The problem was is that they weren't very smart, obviously. But they, they trademarked the wrong name. They trademarked Zonka apostrophe D, oh, because shit. for some 
for some reason, they thought that that was going to be my next move, my next branding move. And they went and they, they trademarked that. So when I got out of prison, uh, you know, I, while I'm in prison, I'm fighting this thing. I'm telling yeah. the, the state bar, like, hey, take a look at this stuff. How can I go to prison for being the owner if this guy's on the LLC as the owner? There, there's something wrong here. Either he needs yeah. to be doing the time or I want my company back and this dude needs to go away. Yeah. The state bar responded with me and said, look, if your judge rules that this gentleman did something illegal, we will take a look at it. The problem with that is, is that guy's been out of the court hearing for over a year. I'm already gone and in prison and he's been long gone. So why would the and judge rule anything? Your brand and making money and yeah. Well, I didn't know how bad it was either because when I got out of prison, I had a gentleman come into the grand opening of one of my hemp stores and, and he approached me, you know, pretty, pretty uh, vigorously come running through the door, very adamant and animated. And I, I'm kind of stepping back, like about to swing on the guy. I don't even know who this dude is. And he tells me, Hey man, me and me and uh, uh, this Todd guy, I know him. He, he ripped me off too. We should compare notes. So we start chatting a little bit and he just so happened. He was the owner of Dicot Farms. He tells me that Red ripped him off for like nine million bucks. And I mean, this huge, huge thief, wow. you know, it went down to him. But what got me was the kid says, hey, man, you know, I have all your molds and all your wrappers. Wow. And I'm like, how do you how do you have my shit? The cops raided me. They took everything. He goes, no, Red tried to replicate everything you were doing after he re LLC it. Holy so now that we've got bars. everything like, done. It's your original. Oh, no. Bars. <laughs> Yeah, this guy, he overnight packages me, overnight ships me all my molds and all my wrapping. So I have all my all my stuff nice. that this guy tried to steal from me, which, I mean, it's so, so full circle. I couldn't even make this stuff up. Like, no I'm shit. not that smart. Well, <laughs> the guy's starring trials and tribulations. You had to serve time. And then, you know, yeah, you got to get your brand back, man. Well, That's amazing. Let's talk about that time too, Chris. Because I mean, like that time was not a resort time, man. First off, with your Crohn's, <laughs> I know how many times yeah. you. So uh, people don't realize that uh, we had a Weldon Angelus on on our first Sunday session uh, uh, episode because our activists, you know, Sunday. This is something we believe in, right? This is yeah. why we devote our Sunday oh, Sunday session, the congregation. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is this That's is. Awesome. But uh, uh, you know, Weldon. Let's talk about how the guards were so rough to him, right? I mean, these guards yes. think everybody's a, a bad guy, a, 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 an asshole. Uh, Craig Cecil, uh, uh, you know, he had he needs insulin, and uh, yes. and, and you with your Crohn's, I, I forget what the, what what, you, what medication you needed, but I know they were fucking yeah. with you. Uh, yeah, and then also yeah. in that time frame, how many times did you saw your wife? It was like three times in six <laughs> years, dude. That's fucking well nuts. because. Because I was a, a gang member, I got STG'd, which what, means they placed STG? a security threat group. So it means that you're, you know, it's as if I were a blood or a crip or even an ISIS member. If I if I pose a threat to the guards, the inmates, or else because of gang affiliation, then they have the right to raise your PI score which places you in a higher maximum security or minimum medium security yard. So because well, like, of the prison is basically just like math puzzles to a certain extent. It's like, Oh, put him in this box over here. It's really <laughs> yeah. secure. Well, you know why that is? It's because of how much money they get to claim it takes to house you. So oh, the more tags you get, the more money they get uh, to house you. 
And think about that for a second. If I'm a gang member, then that means I have to be escorted everywhere. I have to be in my own housing unit. You know, that that requires, you know, probably 70 grand a year to house me there. Because now, like, this is stuff that, you know, nobody else is broadcasting this to people so that they can learn the the seedy underbelly of this drug war where it's just going to put that money in that guy's pocket right over there and that's it they don't care about you they don't care about anything they know that according to this particular statute that federal checks right there and i'm getting that check well i can tell you i i tell people i had the luxury quote unquote of going to prison in two different decades And I really mean that facetiously, but I can tell you there are some obvious differences. When I went to prison in 1995 for a joint playing college baseball, I did three years. And when you do time back in the 90s, it was about reform. It was about rehabilitate. It was about, you know, you had a job. You had keys to your own room if you were on a minimum yard. You had counseling. You had college. You had ways that made you still feel human and you could take care of your family at that point. Uh, Now, when you go to prison, flash forward 20 years later, 30 years later, you're in a warehouse. You're in a warehouse that looks like Walmart without shelves in it. There's 500 people in there fighting over six toilets. It has absolutely nothing to do with reform and rehabilitate. There's no classes. There's no college. There's no jobs. There's heroin. There's drugs that are cheaper in prison than they are on the streets. And the prison knows that. Everyone in there knows that. I thought that's what the whole stupid embarrassing yourself thing. It's it's bars. It's everything. Are they just. I mean, like, well, I can tell you this. Uh, when guards are paid 13 bucks an hour to house a bunch of assholes that treat them like assholes, they give two shit what goes down. And if I were to happen to walk up to somebody and go, hey, you want to make 30 grand on this slide? I bet you we could figure out a deal. I'm not saying every guard in there is I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying. But if you throw the right dime down there to get something done, you're going to get it done. That's yeah. how it's going to go. Those guys, guards don't make any money. They don't have that good of benefits. And what, they get free braces for nine months? I mean, really, they, they don't have any. They fix the gap in their teeth. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yay. And, and next thing you know, they're bringing in dope or weapons or whatever. And not to mention, I mean, honestly, when, when, when our government figured out that it was cheaper to put illegal aliens in prison than it is pot offenders well, you know, pots. profitable is that what they're doing they need to lock up somebody because we have quarters quarterly profits to make i mean this yeah. is there I, I book it book the fucking sale well a private yes. prison thing Chris, you were going to a private prison as well because it's a state private prison though i was in geo i was in a geo private prison geo Geo is, uh, well, now it's something else. They've changed their name so many times. But that was the Geo group. That was one of the private prison groups that ran a lot of the prisons here in Arizona. Um, The private prisons have a rule here on the books. They have a law wrote into the state law in Arizona, and I'm sure in many other states. If the prisons aren't 95% full, then they owe money. They have to pay for those empty beds. That doesn't come from anywhere but the taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Taxpayers covered those empty beds. So what happens to fill those beds? Bullshit laws. They write all these bullshit laws to make sure they fill that place up. And I can tell you, in the last after the last twenty years of now going back to prison, it's half illegal alien, and and, and that's sad because a profit source for them. Make yeah. them a crime, just like with cannabis. Like with cannabis, it was make it a crime. I'll lock them up. I got the contract, so like I'll just charge by the number of beds. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ, there should not be any profit mar- margin in crime, especially at the governmental level where they're going to entrench this system. 
they had to lock up somebody. So you, I mean, it's really, it's really but, sad. They walk the prisons. They bring in the investors. They bring in the shareholders. Oh my god! So have you, you, you got to be almost, It's almost like you're in the zoo. Yeah. So I and because I'm an old cat with an old number, you know, I'm the one they call into the warden's office with all the other old guys that run shit. So they tell me, hey, look, man, if you tell everyone to be cool and keep everyone calm and have everyone make their bed unit and everything clean, we'll make sure we don't shake them down this week. So they're oh, trying shit. to break off deals. They're trying to break off deals with you because they know that they're bringing investors in. They're bringing shareholders through. I've never seen anything like it. When I was leaving prison this last time, just to prove how what a racket this whole thing is. I refused to work for the prison. I told him, absolutely not. I've got Crohn's. I'm not, I wasn't going to build a prison. I'm not going to clean a toilet yeah. in a prison. I'm sorry. You drug me here kicking and screaming. The last thing I'm going to do is cooperate. Right. But and you had a license, right? Yeah, absolutely. You had a license to do what you were doing. You had, a, you had a shit partner that was just flagrantly flouting it, but you still had a license, man. That's the downside. <laughs> when yeah. we were sitting there, they, they, they changed the rule in Arizona prison system now. So if you make over six hundred dollars, they ten ninety nine you. you. You owe tax dollars on that money that what? they force you to make in prison. I feel like two bucks an hour. You. Yeah. you're right. Not even you. Two two dollars is a good job. Oh my god! We're, did you hear? We're talking that. ten cents. Did you hear about the gosh darn uh, prisoners in California getting time off for fighting the fires? You know we have a fire crew here in Arizona. And the only downside about that whole situation is that they can't come out of prison and continue that job. Yeah. If yeah, they can come home and do fighters. Oh, God. I mean, honestly, it's it's terrible pay. Those guys make a dollar a day and half that money goes to them to house. But you know what? When you're in prison and you can leave that yard and go out into the fresh air, into the woods and do work, you'll do whatever. And I'll do it for free. Yeah. The problem is, is I can't do it as a job once I come home. Yeah, that's crazy because I, uh, I know even in a civilian life, that's a big paying job, man. Fighting those fires, yes. uh, the, the smoke jumpers and whatnot, and the fact yep. that you're paying guys a dollar a day to risk their lives, you know, and th and they can't use that as a skill learning set, you know. That that that's some bullshit. Hey, Chris, didn't they also? You were located near your house, and then for some genius reason of I think uh, just fucking with you, they relocated you. Isn't that true? Yeah, so the way it worked is uh, because of the STG, because of the gang thing, uh, they don't tell you where you're going in prison anyway. Uh, but once we got shipped out, they said because my wife was a co-defendant, we weren't allowed to visit. We weren't allowed to have phone calls, um, which is it's against our constitutional right. I'm, I'm allowed to associate with my family. My wife had already completed probation and was done with all of her court stuff. Um, they just wanted to poke and prod and see what was going on. So next thing I know, I land in Yuma. I, I'm as far away from anybody in in Arizona as I can. There are no visits. On the first person to come visit me was when I went to Winslow, and that was Dennis Bouvier with uh, POW 420. He he came out and visited me and uh, uh, just let me know, hey, you're not forgotten, man. We still know you're here, even though we can't see or hear from you. So yeah, let's not um, forget that your wife wasn't allowed to visit you. Because of that no. co-defendant bullshit, like regardless well, of where they put you, and the prison played a game. The prison kept telling her that she had a warrant, but whenever she'd pay the fifteen dollars to go get her fingerprints, there's no warrant. The chick, she just completed probation. They're not going to let her off probation if she's got a warrant. Everybody knows that shit. So I started pushing the issue from the inside out. I had an attorney get a hold of my CO three and tell her, "Look, you're violating my rights." To associate with my family, uh, I want to see my wife. And with 60 days left, they approved her. 
So I had two months left on my sentence. And honestly, I really didn't want her to come at that point. Yeah. I, probably wanted, I wanted to jump in the car and go. Like, man, I've waited two years to see you, you know. Okay. Uh, but no, How long did you was, for Chris? Uh, this sentence I did two years. I, the first one I did three. Man. Uh, the first one was for a joint. So a joint. Real hard. A fucking joint in the 90s was worth three years of your life. That is complete bullshit. I can't believe that. Yeah. Like a I was in a drug... I was in a drug-free school zone. I played college baseball. I got caught in the joint. It was before they had all these people fighting for people's rights. All that remnants of the federal dollars and that federal money, the student loan money and shit. So they had that drug-free America crap. And then so they're yeah. buying it. It's to the monies, guys. And so yeah. because of that, then people are like, oh, no, no, no. We need that money. Put them away for three years. Bad kid yeah. with the joint. Yeah, and then because you, you got out early opposed to your – you didn't serve full term, right, Chris? I got out with an early kick. I got 90 days off early for good time, uh, which is something they do if you attend their mandatory classes. And I got to tell you, the mandatory classes are a joke. Um, the first one they send you to is supposed to be a re-entry class. And they talked about the race riots and the and Watts in the 90s. I mean, literally, it was almost like they were stirring up this racial tension just to see how yeah. people would respond. It had nothing to do with re-entry. The second class you have to go to is called Thinking for a Change. Now, I don't know what kicks you in the balls worse being in prison, but having some CO3 telling you how dumb you are after you've already gotten there. Like, just so from I, the way they name that, they're like, hey, you clearly don't think. So yes. have you considered yeah. Thinking for a Change? Oh. Yes. So the, 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 the CO3 obviously saw how pissed off I was that I had to take this mandatory class or I wouldn't come home early anyway. But I was also mad at the whole organization and the name. Yeah. So she asked me, Chris, what's the problem? And I looked right at her and I said, can I borrow your pen? I stood up and I crossed the A out and I handed her pen back. And she's like, well, what was that all about? I said, well, you just planted a positive seed thinking for change. Yeah. You just let these guys know that there's hope in here. There's exactly. a possibility right. that they can do something good with what's going on. Rehabilitation. Just, right. Right. Reform. Help. Fuck. Positivity. Isn't that the just whole a, point? Isn't that our criminal justice system's thesis, like rehabilitation? Well, well, think about that, Tom. Honestly, if that's really working and that's what we're doing, then why are we building more private prisons? Well, that's the thing. Look at it. Like, oh, uh, maybe uh, you know, I should do some Googling right now to get the chart of like, well, let's look at our prison population over time and, and what is the trend in that data and do we feel any safer? Is this really good or is this just some business out there sees a, a government contract and they're like, hot lunch, I'm going to get that money. Well, what do we fill our prisons with? We fill them with, with immigrants and we're filling them with uh, drug addicts. You know, we're not treating yeah. addiction. And we have this one law that calls everybody criminal. Humans. We're criminalizing huh? humans because they're over a line. There you go. That is a crime. Oh, no, no, no. It, it's it just then deport, put them out. I mean, I understand that. Don't arrest them and put them into a detention center for an extended period of time. Well, and the funny thing is, is the prison knows how it works. You know, there's certain groups of people that run the drugs a little bit better than the other groups because yeah. they're better at it and they're made there. So when they come in, they come with the drugs. Yeah. Everyone knows how the whole system works and there. It's been going on well before time. If it was that simple, then why didn't they stop it? It's because it's bureaucratic. 
You know, without drug offenders and reoffending and commit more crimes, and how in the hell are they going to keep those places full? I watched the guy go in on his fourth dirty UA and talk to the captain, and the captain told him, hey, man, why don't you have your dealer send in the heroin that isn't so strong so maybe you can pass one of these tests? (laughs) That came from the captain. I'm standing right there in the hallway going, what? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I just, you know, I've never seen a basketball-sized ball of herring, guys. And I've been in a, I ran a, a, a motorcycle club for almost three and a half years. I've never seen a ball of heroin that big in my way, life. Just for some of our viewers, including myself, that aren't familiar with motorcycle clubs or basketball sizes of heroin, uh, motorcyclists, <laughs> they, they like the heroin. <laughs> Not necessarily. Okay. Well, you know, no, I, I just, when you got a guard joking about seizing one of those on a prison yard, uh-huh. I, I'm just mind blown, man. I'm mind blown. Like, you know, I've, I've been in the underbelly for a long time and I don't see shit like that when I'm sitting in prison and I hear guards laughing about seizing that. It just, it blows my mind because you can't tell me that that can't be stopped. You can't tell me that nobody knows that this is happening and yeah. it's just continual, repetitive. Well, it's like, why can I go into any major city in the United States and find any fucked up thing I want to find? It's because you... The, the people who are protecting us know that shit's out there, but they keep a container and happy that, all right, if you go to this one avenue, this one street, whatever, you get all the hookers and blow you want, but if you go one street over, yeah, we're going to start arresting <laughs> people. What, what the fuck, right. you know? We're, we're, we're right. not in the business of actually trying to make America better. You know, putting you in jail for goddamn two, three years just for running, trying to be a good citizen. That's, yeah, I mean, that's like, just bullshit. From a joint to a licensed operator, and they're still locking you up, but let's all right. We have a lot of work to do when it comes to criminal justice reform. But let's talk about like brighter things. What are you doing now, man? Well, you know, since the prison trip, it's been pretty crazy. Uh, I wrote a book while I was in prison. I actually I wrote two. Uh, one book is called Convicted Creations. It's a cookbook. It's uh, prison recipes, which you can also see on YouTube at Convicted Creations. We've done fourteen episodes of a cooking show. Where, uh, honestly, it started off as a joke. We were just a bunch of guys sitting around laughing about tamales made out of Doritos and ice cream in the dryer. And it turned into an amazing uh, show where people come out of prison. We kind of counsel our way through the four-minute segment. And uh, we brag about what we did instead of feel sorry for ourselves. So it's it's more of a a pick-me-up and a positive to show that, hey, look, we can do anything with what we've been dealt uh, it's not always a negative. That's all. Awesome. You, so you guys were making YouTubes while in prison? No, sir. No, sir. I wrote the book in prison, but when yeah. I came home, uh, we published the book, and my agent saw it and said, man, you need to turn that into a cooking show. And uh, literally, I bring home cannabis inmates or inmates that were in there for you know nonviolent, non-repetitive stuff, and I put them on TV, and I just – I try to – Show them the positive side. Like, look, because a lot of times when you come out of prison, you're stuck with that mentality. I'm a felon. Uh, my life sucks. I can't get a job. Or, you know, and you get you you bury yourselves b- before we get a chance. I want to show them that that's not necessarily the case. You can come out. We can have a little fun, laugh at ourselves for the mistakes we made or got caught doing, and, and still move forward. And we're here for each other, even though we're not in prison anymore. Hey, Chris, you, you seem like a pretty tough guy to me too i mean and, and again we'll talk back again because you're doing so many awesome amazing things nowadays uh but like what's the attitude correction i mean first off he went in for a joint and it's all we related so it's all bullshit no matter what but uh i can imagine like honestly dude 
I know I'd be a little bitch in prison. Like I'd be like, ah, oh, shit, this shit's get real, way too real for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what was your attitude correction? Because I mean, we have it where you get shot at, you get you go into a fight outside, no big deal. I can go to a hospital. You get a staff infection at goddamn bars, you you, you might lose a leg. You, you know, what is your mentality at that point where you're like, these are some real bad motherfuckers. Let me just try and because you you had your wife and your kids. That was your goal at the end of the day. You know, what kept your uh, uh, sanity throughout all this shit, man? Well, you know, lucky for me, I grew up in group homes and foster homes as a kid. So I kind of had an idea how this all worked. Yeah. And going to prison at 19, you learn real quick how this rolls. Um, luckily prison's built on a hierarchy and because I'm an older cat now and I'd already done some time with an older number and I knew how it went and I had good paperwork that didn't, you know, I didn't rape kids or beat women or crazy crap like that. It wasn't difficult for me, not to mention I'm six one two fifty. I mean, not a bunch of people come running at me all the time, but it happens. I'm, you know, the good part is, is I've got a little history, so. You know, unfortunately, I don't want to brag about it, but I, I know how this goes. So I could walk in there. A kid walks up and wants to see my paperwork. I could jam him up harder than he could jam me. And when this old dude comes to hit me up and I'm 10, 15 years older than yeah. him, it's like, oh, back off the old timer. We got a question from the well, a comment from the audience. Uh, Pyramid 7 wants you to post some more videos. So get back in the kitchen, man. <laughs> you know, we're we're actually wrapping up, getting ready to start season, uh, filming for season two. So nice. I believe the nice. second weekend in December, we're going to be filming at Helpful Farms in Arizona. So if you're interested in getting on, just uh, email Trey at WeCrushTheBox.com and we'll get you all linked up and, and, and ready to film. We love doing it. Honestly, it was completely a joke. I never thought anybody in the world would even watch the stuff. Um, but Keep to my up. surprise, yeah, like twenty thousand people a month Google prison food. Yeah. <laughs> now, also with Kick Victor Creations, you got you also sell like prisoners' artworks, right? Yeah. So what I started was another program called Coloring Books for Convicts. That's my cool. wife's amazing. She she sent me coloring books while I was in prison, which I laughed at as a president of a motorcycle club. I didn't do a whole lot of coloring in my day. But um, you'd be surprised that when you throw on some tool and your headphones and you sit at your desk and you focus, it really puts your head in a good spot when you're in a bad place. Um, and what's funny is I had other quote unquote STG members, you know, MS-13 and other gang members on the same yard that started noticing what we were doing with the coloring and sending them home and posting them and getting them. People were auctioning them off on Facebook, which is crazy because I didn't draw it. It's just colored. I stayed between the lines, but dispensaries are paying 300 bucks for it. So we're like, I felt guilty. I didn't want to take their money. So I took the money. man. I bought more coloring books and I just nice. handed them out to everybody involved. Next thing I know, it blew into uh, a hobby craft. So I started selling their, uh, you know, their jewelry boxes and their motorcycles and, and it's all nonprofit. So we make sure that the money goes on the books of the inmate and lets them take care of their families or commissary or whatever they, they can do. We just try to show them that they're human. You know, yeah, some people in there are doing 15 to life or more. I mean, it's it's a scary thing. But I want to I want to show them that they're not forgotten that, you know, just because we're not in prison, we're not 
thinking about them, man. Yeah. They're very much loved. And, and I know what it did for me, man. I got a nickname of Hollywood in prison because I got so much mail. They come that, through my by my bed and drop stacks down, and people look at me like, "Who is this guy?" And I'm like, "Who am I? I have no idea. This is crazy." But it's important, you know. You'd look over and you'd see a guy that didn't get any mail, and I'm giving him my mail. Like, here, man, read this. Check this out. This is cool. It's just, it, it means a lot. I mean, after a year in prison, most people have lost everything. They're, they're. It's an old country song. The wives, the kids, everything's gone. Within about an average of a year, it seems like everyone starts to fade away so you imagine those guys doing three or more there's not a lot left for them man so yeah i just try to let them know that i kept my word that that means a lot in there too you know for sure well i can imagine too the the coloring alone for like a bunch of like uh you know we live in this world where a lot of fucked up things happen to you as a kid or whatever and then you become a fucked up adult and then somebody <laughs> from the outside reaches out to you and says hey here's a coloring book and then you sit down you focus and you're like you know what Maybe I was an asshole. And then you start focusing yeah. and then the meditation and then the rehabilitation happens, you know, but then at that point, cause you know, I, my, I have some family that are kind of hard asses or badasses, whatever, but then sometimes it's the most juvenile or most uh, 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 just artistic thing where you didn't expect that person to be like really giddy and a kid about things. You're just like, all right, right. there's, there's a chance. No. I had a dude that ran MS-13 in there come up behind me giggling like, hey, man, can I get that Aztec painting? Can I get that that bird coloring book? I'm like, bro, Fuck you can yeah. have whatever you want, man. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Like, of course you can have that. That's totally cool. But then, you know, we, we post it. We put it out there. And, and, and never once do we put their name or their number and blast out what they're doing. I just put the artwork. And if, you're, if you like the artwork, we take care of putting the money on their books. So there is no connection. No one has to worry about people running into their house to claim their artwork. or You know, it's not like that. It's more about, about love. I, it's funny because the prison would actually fight me on it. They would tell me that because of what we were doing, it was causing the outgoing mail to increase. They were shipping out more and more hobby craft. And they tried to make it illegal. They tried to say that it was against the rule for us to send out all the hobby crap. And all it did was create a, a friendship. It created yeah. where pe people got along. You know what I mean? Like they weren't trying Positivity. to fight over the you know? Yeah, hope. 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 Whatever yeah, you yeah. without hope. <laughs> yeah, and then those letters that you were gotten, uh, I imagine a lot came from like the Human Solution, from the PO420 uh, uh, group. Yeah. Uh, will you let people know how important it is that people, who, strangers, you know, like I, I haven't written to anybody in a while, but in the beginning when I was doing all my activism, uh, core links, again, everything costs in prison. Yes. I had uh, core links emails. I was talking to people, and then I found out throughout the course that it cost them money to just send a fucking email. Yeah. And I was like, how does this even work? And now what they're doing is they're doing video phone calls where you can't even fucking uh, uh, talk to your prisoner. You have to pay a, a video phone call. Uh, right. I've seen that in some places. So they're trying to nickel and dime you or the prisoner as much as they can. Um, shit, I totally yeah, don't we, it. <laughs> we started a nonprofit because of that. So I, I started ZonkaMiles.org and it helps. It's a twofold nonprofit. So growing up a kid in the system, I feel like they groom you for prison. You know, you turn 18, that's it. Okay, welcome to adulthood. You're 18, figure it out. By 19, I'm in prison. I don't know any better. Uh, I'm All I'm doing is selling weed, trying to make money and eat food. Like, I, I, I'm not trying to break laws. 
but because of that, I feel like we've groomed children right into that system, especially if you're someone that's caught in the juvenile system with no family, no, no support. So the nonprofit is really geared to help in that aspect, but yeah. also drug offenders that are coming home. Because when you come home and you, you've gone to prison for weed now, look, I'm still on paper. I, my charges are from 2012. I'm st- I got a year and a half left still on paper, which means Jesus. $75 a month in probation fees. I paid, how, what, 40 grand in fines and fees. I'm not and- going to Arizona. Oh, you know, it's crazy. They gave me a thousand hours of community service. And if I want to monetize that for eight bucks an hour, then I'm totally rehabilitated. Oh, shit. Completely. Equity legalization in Illinois and Arizona because you are checking like literally all the boxes. Because <laughs> yeah. you were arrested for a joint, which is like a minor offense, but you got three right. years fucking Arizona. And, right. you know, yeah, here. You'd be able to get a dispensary, you know. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. But again, not rehabilitation. It's revenue. They don't give a fuck about right. any anything. They just want to generate. Uh, um, I don't, Chris, I, I know in Tucson, Tucson was the funnel for drugs coming through to the states. Like, I got old stories from cats that were like, "Yeah, man, concerts will start here with three tractor trailers and leave with four. You know, yeah. I mean, just all the, the drug running, but it's still the, the main funnel, you know. Right. And when I first got out of the military and I, and I was at, in Tucson, um, I couldn't find weed. It was the hardest time for me to find weed, but I could find coke everywhere. Right. <laughs> and what it was laid out to me was is the cartels encouraged, they they, 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 they control the, the, the weed coming through because oh, yeah. we're making more money when it left the Arizona into the main states. And the coke was just kind of, yeah is that kind of the same where you're at in that area yeah i'd imagine i mean i'm in phoenix so i'm only a couple hours oh, to the west yeah it's really not that much of a difference the good part is is i think everyone's starting to get more of a quality and a taste for what they want and nobody wants that brick shit anymore so <laughs> i don't think anybody ever wanted the brick shit chris yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, we like to tell ourselves that, but it still streams across the border. So. But, you know, but well, I remember the worst brick shit that I ever smoked when I was like in college. And it was one of those things that you could you'd roll a joint that looked like a cigar, and halfway oh. through it, you'd just be looking at each other. I can't Why? smoke anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Are you smoking? Like, you smoke gas? <laughs> Smelled like pepper in the morning. Yeah. Oh man, it was the worst. It still is. Right. I mean. Uh, and so, so now, with with your, your being out with uh, convict creations, you also got uh, uh, with Hempel Farms uh, with your pets for pets. Well, we haven't gotten to Hempel Farms yet. I mean, you're such an entrepreneur, uh, consummate entrepreneur. So let, let's let's talk about Hempel Farms. What's that? Uh, Hempel Farms is my hemp company. Uh, when I got raided, I couldn't go back into the cannabis business, so I was I was stuck trying to figure out how I'm going to pay bills and rent on just a chef's salary. Um, so I had a farmer call me up. That was a good friend of mine and said, Hey, Chris, I saw, I saw you get railroaded in court. I think we can help you on the hemp side of things. So he brought me some hemp CBD oil and said, why don't you try making some of the products that you used to make under the Zonka brand? See if it is something you'd be interested in. Well, after getting railroaded by my co-defendant, I wasn't looking for any new buddies, especially in this business space, but I needed to do something. I needed to feed my family too. So I took the CBD oil personally as a Crohn's patient mm-hmm. and within three weeks realizing how much better I was feeling just on a daily basis between that and diet change, mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, everybody needs to try this stuff. So literally I started selling everything, you know, a couple of products online, 
just as in support of my case. Like, hey, I need help with a lawyer. We need to sell some products. Let's get people feeling better. Kind of all in one gamut. Well, I got a call from an investor out of Kentucky. He fell in love with the name Hempel Farms and the logo and thought, man, that's a, that's a brilliant idea. We want to help you. We'd like to partner. So he wanted to come out and check out my facility. And at the time, I was making everything in my living room because I'm still out on half a million dollar bond. So it's not like I had a facility or anything. Yeah. Um, but I'm not a dumb guy. So I get on Craigslist. I find a catering kitchen that was going to be you know, available. And I rented it for the weekend. Nice. I set it up like a lab. I had these investors come out and walk through my kitchen. And they were in love. But I, half the space was a cafe, like set up perfect for a restaurant. Oh, and he shit. says, so what do you, he goes, what are you planning on doing over here? And bam, Hippo Farms Cafe spit out of my mouth before I could even think it through. I was just like, hip infused cinnamon rolls, breakfast, lunch, dinner, smoothies, coffee. Like, and he's, and that's what he thought. He's like, dude, you're a genius. That's amazing. Here's a hundred grand for 20% of your company. Wow. I was like, oh shit. I guess I just got an evaluation. Uh, and within, <laughs> within weeks, we were moved into the space. We opened up the cafe and the retail store, but I was still fighting my case. So, you know, I was pretending like I was building this huge empire, but I'm uh, not going to go to prison. And uh, yeah. who knew what the end result was going to be? Once I went to prison, my wife just couldn't keep the cafe open. So she asked me, you know, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, Mama, the, the products got us here. People love what we do. As long as we stay seed the shelf and keep doing everything we do from the farm and in-house, they're going to love us. So literally, I got sentenced and went to prison. My wife and my son went on a show called The Marijuana Show in Denver, Colorado, which I got us on the show, but I couldn't be on the show because of my sentencing. So Did my wife at least my- get like a written statement? Because that's like one of my favorite cutaways in The Simpsons is always when you have somebody like a written, they cut away to somebody's picture and they're just reading. You guys remember <laughs> like back in the day before everything was recorded on YouTube and live and streamed. Oh, that's something else, man. That is an amazing story. So you, your wife, handful while you were locked up, then she did. They they went up there. My nine year old memorized the performer in the pitch deck, and he pitched it to Yaflora, Green Star Bud. I mean, he he landed a five hundred dozen dog treat sale to Yaflora and Jamie Perino. Like I I was blown away. I didn't see any of it until I was released from prison in two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. So almost three years later, I got to come home and see how it all went. But they nailed it. I mean, uh, he made the sale. My wife would, you know, rent out a kitchen on the weekends to go cook in. Um, Whatever she could do to just keep us going. Literally, once we could talk on the phone with like four or five months left, we would spend our one 15-minute phone call on a conference call with a dispensary trying to line out wholesale, trying to line out white label. Like it was the craziest shit one to have a dispensary even agreed to that with a felon sitting in prison. Yeah. But to, but to have my wife have the wherewithal and the understanding to step into a role, it taught us two things. It taught me that I need to shut up, kick back, and realize that my wife's really important here and she has a way bigger role than I've allowed her to have. And two, she's realized how important she is to this company, that it doesn't roll without her. It doesn't go without her. So it, it's really taught us a lot. And, and you know, finishing the book and the documentary to really wrap all that up, just kind of it put everything into perspective. You know, we didn't think Hemphill would ever open again. I went to prison. We closed it. 
I came home. That was the first thing we had the opportunity to do. Within 60 days, I had Hempel Farms right back open. Mm-hmm. Um, I partnered with a company called American Green who, who came out and gave me the money to open up my my business. And it allowed me to partner with them to bring in the team to open up a grow. So now I run a 14,000 square foot grow. Well, my team does. And uh, it allowed me to relaunch Zonka bars. All Is my that edibles. a CBD hemp farm grow? Uh, this is my cannabis grow, which I'm not on a license. I'm not in a cannabis on... space. Yeah, they fucked with the wrong dude, man. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> they they just motivated me, honestly. You can't tell me no. I'm that three year old that'll keep going. <laughs> well, the law makes no sense, man. It's like it doesn't. It's like civil I mean, rights. I still can't keep a good grower down. You can't, you know. You... I, I I still can't have a fingerprint card. I still can't technically be in there making a product. But you know what? I'm a team builder and I'm a manager and I'm a family guy. So I know how to organize things and put the right people in the right spot. We grow some of the top medicine in Arizona. And that's not just coming from me. What you can brand? read all the reviews. Zonka. We have a Zonka brand that Wait. if you go into, go, go to ogzonka.com and check out everything we've got online. And then like Cannabis Cactus Magazine, the local magazine, they've showcased this on their spread for like the last three or four months. We've OG been really Zonka. getting some rave reviews. Like OG Zonka, that's it. Check it out, OG Zonka. And I know you're also, uh, um, uh, oh shit, man, you do so many things, dude. Yeah, it's just mind boggling. <laughs> I think that I'm an entrepreneur. You're just, what do you do when you're not hustling? Yeah. Oh man, honestly, I'm a grandpa. I got two grandbabies, oh, five wow. kids. I, family's my life. I, I coach baseball. Uh, anything I can do to just you know cherish these days being at home. That that's one of the lessons learned from sitting in prison. That that's just you know idle time. It doesn't matter. Even even though I wrote two books and I I tried to start all these organizations, I still felt like I had so much idle time which is dangerous. So I try to teach that to my kids now that idle time is dangerous. Yeah. So I spend every moment with them, whether it be sports or working or football or baseball. Or now, right now we're just really promoting our documentary haters make me famous. It just dropped October 22nd. Um, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Nobles. It's on, you name it. We got it on like 10 or 12 platforms right now. What's it called? It's called haters make me famous. Haters make me famous on Amazon. You go to Amazon Prime and, and, and it's right there. Haters make me famous. Um, I believe it's on uh, Deep Discount, Blue Moose, Barnes and Nobles, Best Buy. It's on it's on quite a few platforms right now. I independently produced it. I paid for it out of my pocket. Um, and, and really it, it was it was about everyone but me. It had nothing to do necessarily with my story, even though it is it's the Chris Martin story. But it, it, it's kind of for all those other people who don't have that platform or that ability nice. to speak and be out there in front because, you know, my story is just a replica of so many others that have already walked this yeah. uh, that haven't been able That's to. one of the reasons so. why Miggy and I really uh, dedicate the time to do the activist hour like this because this thing's been going on for so long. And, like, you know, yes, we can document because, like, you know, could you imagine if, like, uh, Jack Hare – and, and Peron and and uh, who else was like really really influential? I mean, we had Keith Stroop or Strop on, which was fascinating, like the founder of Normal. But even like LaGuardia back in the '40s when he was doing that types of studies to fight against that type yeah. of propaganda. You know, it's great that we're able to have these types of interviews and 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 discuss it with people that had to go through it firsthand, and we get to continue just to put that out there so that it's got to fall. I mean, like, and I think it's going to fall 
sooner rather than later. They're going to have a yeah. vote in Congress. Right. Yeah. Well, and I agree with you. That's why I feel like it's very important that people that do have a voice that went through something like this, use it. You have to get out and speak. You have to get out and share the stories. We do a podcast that's called Haters Make Me Famous. It's based on the same show. And that's what it's about. I bring people on that have stories that have the same type of situations. I, I've got Kirk Nurmi that's going to be on my show in two weeks. He was uh, Jody Arias. Every Sunday, right? We yeah. More people that have like lived it, that have gone through it, and, and tell their stories. Because there's so much. Because like on Wednesdays we do our business show, and you you could have you could have easily been on the business show because of all <laughs> the business you have going on. Again, haters make me famous on Amazon Prime now. That's pretty cool. But um, so many people kind of like prioritize the business, and they don't re remember the movement that gave birth to this, and they'll like trivialize the stoner image, or or they'll try to re rebrand cannabis as something that's like this yeah. product that everybody loves. And, you know, we, we try to keep it, you know, real here on the uh, on the activist hour or the congregation. I, I consider it more like uh, talking to somebody who decided not to sit in the back of the bus. You know, this, right. you know, people like you, Chris, you know, people who, who, who try to get in business and then got fucked with. And then now you're standing back up. The fact that you bounced back up, thank God. But, you know, just you're the guy who said, you know what? This is not right. Just like. uh all the other laws, it makes you re-examine everything probably that you see, like with the immigration laws and the other stuff going yes. around. Right. It's like it makes you pay attention. Yeah. It makes you realize that these things aren't wrote for your benefit. Dude. Like nothing about these laws are here to help us. Uh, how many people actually read their medical law before they signed it? You know what I mean? Like, oh, thank God Arizona is still medical. That's all I can say. And thank God we have voters that read the laws that they tried to pass in 16 and all this other garbage they're trying to throw at us now because what will happen? We're going to end up like California where you can, oh, wait, can't go to Butte County and smoke weed because it's illegal in a legal state. Right. Like, what are we doing? Like, nobody pays attention because no one listened the first time. Well, I, like, I don't yeah, understand. That, that's interesting. You're saying that in um, the Arizona bill that they proposed in 16 and in California, I haven't been to California uh, in a long time, uh, that they, <laughs> they actually prohibit it on a county municipal level. So, like, even though it's legal, it could still be illegal depending on what county you're in. Not yeah, wonderful, wonderful problem. Prop 64 allows the individual municipalities to vote separate, vote outside. What no, no, you can say no business, but you can't say that it's illegal in your premises. So, like, if somebody comes in smoking, right. point, that's okay. He didn't buy right. it here, though. You know, like, yeah, it's illegal to buy and sell it. You can grow it. I know that they're still growing there. Yeah, that's illegal awesome. to buy and sell. Home grow in Illinois, you can't restrict that either. So, like, if, if a medical patient wants to grow in 2020, they can grow. Uh, and the counties can't, or the municipalities can't say no, but they could say no to business. You know, we aren't going to have a dispensary in our town because we're good. Yeah. All those smart guys running the lead just makes so much sense. Yeah. Chris, we didn't <laughs> talk about your second book, though. My second book's called One Life, uh, the Chris Martin story. And I wrote the book because it was pretty much um, – how do you say a memoir to my family? Yeah. I thought I was, I thought I was looking at life. Um, I thought with Crohn's, any amount of time going to prison was going to be pretty rough. Uh, within four months of being in prison, I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, blood pressure. I didn't have any of my medicine. I, I, they wouldn't give me anything that I was mandated by court to have. So technically they sent me to Yuma because they said it was a medical yard, but it was, 
more a gang yard. So um, you get you, less treatment that way. I remember rallying and calling the prisons when you were needing medicine. Thank you. Did you ever you. Uh, receive any repercussions from that? Were you ever chat? I know Craig Cecil gets fucked with whenever there's too many phone calls in his favor. Yes. Same yeah, thing they, with you. They mess with you bad. Yeah. They'll come at three in the morning and kick your bed. Hey, Martin. Oh, just checking on your welfare check. We got a lot of calls. That's how they, yeah, that's their wealth. No blood pressure check or uh, you know, check your blood sugars or anything like that. No, they just wake you up, make sure you're cool. Um, when I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, I didn't even get a water pill. I didn't even, nothing. They wouldn't give me an EEG, an EKG, a test, nothing, zero. I didn't even have the guy. They're going to wait for you to start stroking out or to have a heart exactly. attack. And then they'll start, then they'll administer some type of treatment. No preventative. Nothing. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, look, I'm not one of those guys that's going to throw rocks in prison because I understand that's a necessary evil. I know that there are people that belong there. I've met them. I've seen them. There's there's some people that deserve to be there. But when you're going in there for an addiction, a drinking problem, selling dope, stupid shit like that, and you are thrown into this world that you know nothing about, my, my last book that I'm about to publish, it's a private prison book. It's just going to, it's really about opening the eyes for people who don't get arrested or have someone arrested. Because if you're not in that circle, you're never going to understand or relate yeah. to this without reading something that, that will kind of connect the dots. And that's what this book does. It really just connects the dots on the contractual side of prison, what it's like for all the small businesses and then the telephone companies, the commissary companies, and just how they treat rip us. You off, it's rip like. you off. It's about the money. It's not about you. It's about making me rich. You're an animal. No, cheap. Well, well, how, how, how can what? how can I afford how can I afford a dollar sixty top ramen and a three dollar phone call when I make ten cents an hour? That's eight dollars every two weeks at forty hours a week. Chris, how can that be? Oh, Chris, did you um and and as a labor in fucking prison, part of this issue that we're talking about, I know some real big companies like goddamn military contract and people are just sewing ribbons all day. Were you any big companies? Were you ever supporting their shit? Were you like, this is fucked up. I'm making Macy's fucking dresses or some shit. Uh, you know, they had a, a cinder block company that was local, an Arizona big corporation cinder block company that they work out where we make bricks and those bricks build the prison. They have the water company. So like your local water city water company they have a private company that comes in and sets up prisons are self-sufficient so if a war goes off and the the town that's next to the prison gets bombed that prison's still gonna be functioning it's got its own water system they have their own power system they have their own everything system i mean they can actually function if the grid goes down um generators the whole jazz so they don't skip a beat in there it doesn't matter they're gonna keep rocking and rolling but the big companies i saw we're like plastic companies, license plate companies, the state, the government, and it's all private processes. Yeah. You know, it's it's a private contract. They come in, here's a five-year deal, a 10-year deal. I mean, honestly, check this out. So there was a riot in the prison I was in the first year I was there, and it was stupid. It was a, it was a two races fighting over drinking liquor and a football game, something dumb. It jumped off to about 800 people. Now, I don't know what I could compare a riot to from inside that I, you know, out on the streets to help people understand. But that's the scariest thing I've ever been in in my life. Watching 800 people swing anything they can grab or try to stab each other over something that dumb 
blew my mind. It totally Where changed me. Like this riot. Is that in the yard? As they call this it? is in Yuma. This is on the yard in Yuma prison. Oh, uh, Yuma yard in Cibola. Um, it shit just, just goes off. I mean, we're talking tear gas and cops going oh, out wearing suits and, and the whole thing. But what showed me that it was a prison after that is, you know, you go on lockdown for a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. We, we couldn't, we didn't lose any privileges like the telephone. You could still call home. So we just tore shit up. We just burned buildings down and people got stabbed. Oh my Not God. me personally, but yeah, yeah. we're watching it. But once we get locked down, you can still use the phone. Because you, you still pay five bucks, so they're still going to make their money. Fuck. Instead of us going to the store and standing in line to pick up our commissary, because typically in, in Arizona, at Yuma, you'd have to stand outside for two hours waiting for your, your commissary in 200-degree weather. Well, now, because you're locked down after this riot, they deliver their commissary to them. Fuck. I'm, cr I'm cracking up laughing, going, wait a minute. Like, Wouldn't that be the first privilege you lose? Well, they can't. If they take that contract away and they don't deliver the commissary that's been paid for by the inmate, that's a breach of contract. Man, that's just some private prison bullshit, it's, period, man. It's, it's, I was blown away. Like, these dudes are going to riot every week if they know you're going to deliver their candy to them. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, I got to get up in. <laughs> what are you teaching these guys in here? Like, man. Keep oh the zoom God. zooms, man. <laughs> no, it just blows my mind to think of the business side of things in there and how it runs. And going to prison twice on weed in 22 years is it's given me a lot of perspective. It's really well, opened my know. eyes up. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I'm done. done I hope the weed is now sufficiently legal <laughs> to keep you out of prison. Yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, my goal right now is once Arizona drops me off paper, I'm out. I, I want to go to a state that welcomes me, that likes my hard work and my products. And my when did they find you off paper? Uh, I got a year and a half left. They yeah. told me that, well, they told me when I signed my plea bargain, I'd only have to do 50% and I'd be done. But what they didn't tell me is that because I'm a security threat group, I, I'm on this gang thing, I don't qualify for early turn. And nobody shared that with me at the time of signing my plea because not even nobody. I would have sat in prison. I would have killed my number. I would have come home to freedom. Uh, we'd be over with this conversation right now. Yeah. I'm not talking about it. Well, this is another ramification of like the bullshit of this drug war. Like, I mean, just besides the time behind bars and it's the time afterwards where like you you're involved big in, I know in the hemp industry as well, like a consultant and you're uh, um, involved in uh, uh, business development. Uh, and I see you yeah. do speaking engagements. Do you, ha you have to ask every time you leave the state probably, don't you? I do. I have to get permission. It has to get approved. Uh, they can deny it at any time. I, I mean, can't travel outside the country. I can't have a passport. That's not freedom. Man. You're not free still. No. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, God forbid. God forbid I break a rule or, or commit a crime at this point. I'm just on the layaway plan. You can be so, on YouTube, right? You're not this. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that, honestly, that's why we went public. That's why we went so crazy with our case. Once we learned how crooked the cops were and how crooked the setup was and how bad everything was, I felt like, man, if I don't put this on in writing. I'm right. gonna disappear. Nobody's oh, gonna yeah. care. No, yeah, why? Like how many? Like if you look at charts of violent crimes, they've been going down uh, for a while because criminals, well, you know, they're out there. 
Uh, I don't think that they uh, know that they're so smart to not get caught. So as more surveillance has gone up, the numbers of violent crimes have gone down. They're like, <laughs> right. if I wasn't on nine different cameras right now, I would kill you. But I am. <laughs> it was like Chris was low-hanging fruit, man. He had a fucking business. I yeah. mean, yeah. it's it's that's well, not real policing. That's like, oh, well, look. And our county, our county, Yavapai is infamous in this state. Sheila Polk is the county attorney who's run unopposed up there for three terms straight. Um, it, it's it's the most crooked corruption of and, and setup of cronyism and nepotism I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, I could write a whole book on that myself, just on how no, bad that it'll probably be. keep you on papers until 2024. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I do worry. I mean, honestly, I've gone and sat behind her when she does her her speeches around town and tries to commit to you know, make people understand that or make them think that pots is addictive and all this crazy stuff. And I pick at her. I sit right behind her chair, letting her know, like, look, you arrested a dad, a yeah. father, a son, a brother, a businessman, not just some pothead. You know, I'm a normal guy, just like everyone in this room here. Yeah. I just want to do it legally. I just want to sit in my house and not worry about my doors getting kicked in. Well, I told Tom earlier, I, I smoked a couple bowls before I came in. And, uh, you know, we thought we were going to be earlier. I was super high earlier. But I was like, hey, man, if I turn into a bat, it's because I smoked some of this Pike Place OG shit. So, <laughs> I mean, just these people with their fear mongering is, is insane because all they're saying is you belong in jail. That's yeah. all they're saying. They're not saying why. They're not saying who you hurt. Well, now you know why. Now you know yeah. why. They well, it's all revenue, right? They got a, yeah. they got a yeah. machine to feed. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it has nothing to do with, like, protections and actually, like, saving, you know. or, or it has nothing to do with actually, right, the public welfare, that you're helping people and you're producing less harm. You know, that's right. why murder is illegal, because we were just all sitting here murdering each other. We wouldn't get anything <laughs> done. Uh, and, and and so it would be and also think of all the, the harms that you've caused you know to the problems of murdering people and other crimes where you actually take somebody's life liberty or property and then yeah. the crime of smoking a joint i mean uh, the whole point of those crimes were for public health so right. like, there's a difference between somebody who's peddling black tar heroin or pcp or, or a crime, I'm sorry, a drug that has severe, you know, it, it's going to dissociate you. It's going to take you right. out of your body. It's going to, you could even overdose on it, stuff like that. And it's unregulated. Yeah. That being a crime to pedal on because people have an addictive tendency, especially the ones that are going to be the most likely to take those things. You're exploiting that. That's the crime. The whole thing. And then to, to lump marijuana into that is kind of, just stupid. I mean, it just shows they, they don't even look at what they're doing. They just they just said, oh, I'm going to sweep this in with there because the people doing it aren't me. Well, I mean, with marijuana being one of the low-lying fruit you know, charges like that, they've been filling prisons for years. Yeah. And now they're realizing, like, wait a minute, they're catching on. It was six they're realizing that we can't do that anymore. Right. All they're saving is pizza's lives. I'm just saying. <laughs> that pizza died how we lived. <laughs> Cheesy. Cheesy. Yeah. Hot and fresh. So Chris, what up? Oh, uh... oh, go ahead, bro. It was neat just being inside because on the positive side, I even had CO3s that were buying our product. Once they read our case file and saw why we were there and got all the phone calls from you guys, my CO3 pulled me in the office and was like, Martin, do you know that you're the topic of our briefing every Wednesday? Oh, shit. Every Wednesday, your name comes up because of phone calls and letters and people from the outside. 
I said, then change your way. Fix it. Well, Do this differently. Then maybe I shouldn't be here, you know? Have you considered that what I was doing isn't a crime? It was just untaxed? Okay, I'll pay the effing tax, you know? Yeah. 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 I got to tell you, it's pretty hard to convince people how tough you are when you're in there for candy bars. Yeah. I made, I made candy bars. <laughs> I was the munchie. Stay away from that guy. Watch out for him. I was the munchie syndicate leader here for eight years. <laughs> yeah, they totally got tough on sugar. And now whatever you're that means. <laughs> yeah, so Paw Putty is a, one of my hip lines. It's actually my son. He's the CEO. He's 14. Uh, he was nine when he went on the marijuana show, but he created the pet line um, pretty much at the same time we had Hempel. So my dog got sick. He asked if we could give the dog Hempel products. And I said, yeah, but how are you going to convince everyone else to take Hempel products for their pets? He said, we'll put a pet label on it. And bam. Wow. Dude. Pet, Your 14-year-old had that? Like he yeah, was like at nine, <laughs> nine. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. that's good shit. Hey, on the uh, um, so I know when they were on the the MJ show, it was a big who to do it, and I think I saw it one time. But is it available? Because I know they were talking about your story, like your your wife was running the uh, the the show while you were there, and they kind of like have your segment of like you know he's currently serving time for this thing that we're making a million dollar show for, you know, the Shark Tank of fucking marijuana. Yeah. They changed the whole concept of the show because of my story. When we first were picked up on season two, it was supposed to be about entrepreneurship and getting into the industry. And mm -hmm. we were going to help teach about that. But I think they knew about my case and just didn't want to tell me. They're kind of waiting for me to bring it up. And when we got approved to be on the show, we actually I did this huge pitch and they chose us. She looked right at me, one of the one of the, the producers, and she said, if you're chosen to be here, could you make it to Denver to be on the show? And that just let me know that she knew. They knew I was fighting a case. They, they knew I might not be here because of sentencing, but they still wanted our story. So once we got there, um, I, once I got sentenced and, and Andy got put on the show, the whole dynamic changed. They changed it to more about uh, prison and and people in prison for a plan and how even minority for like and if if you know that's the, the craziest effing thing about <laughs> it if you have good shit with this particular product it's pure it's like you've you've grown the flower well you've kept it free from adulterants and bad chemicals and it's beautiful that's illegal are you right. how much of that kills you and does it take you to like another plane of existence and make you a derelict no it does none of those things no uh, you know it does kill me those all those companies that lobbied to keep all of us in prison and fight so hard to keep these laws in place yeah. are now in the game yeah they're now allowed to make products and go make a profit not one of those companies that had a lobbyist that fought to keep us in jail and keep these rules should ever get to profit before any of these guys come home. Oh yeah. Period. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. That's what drives me crazy is seeing that shit. When I look over and I see a company like CVS or these big corporations that can now house these products and they can bank with no banking issues whatsoever. No, oh, yeah, they were the they were the same companies fighting my company eight years They're ago. We didn't deserve to be on this. Giving show. out like chiclets prescriptions for opioids 20 oh, yeah. years ago you know yeah. oh i'll fill your prescription yeah well that's why this is important that's... we're just trying to keep the stories alive no one else is telling this shit 
You know, this is all real history stuff. Hey, well, you can only tell it to so many people because of the shadow ban. It's like, shh, shh, shh. Right. Corner. Hey, I tell you what, you Google Mickey 420, you'll find a lot of weed shit, though. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, so if you guys want to see the book, it's on Amazon, too. It's uh, called One Life, the Chris Martin Story. And literally, I wrote it to my family saying goodbye. I thought I wasn't going to come home. I thought I was going to die in prison just because of my illness. Or, I mean, when you go to prison, very rarely do you come out early. You usually stay for an extended time. Uh, they trick you into that one way or another, however it goes. But the book just kind of helped me piece everything together and get into a little bit more detail than I could in 90 minutes on the doco. Especially when you feel like you're you're, you're, you're a sick man behind bars and it's not sanitary. Uh yeah, man. Hey, man, we appreciate you you, you yeah. just coming out here and, and sharing your story and how fucked up it is. Is there anything you want to plug before we we, we take off? And, and, and uh, you know, uh, we got to go on to our daily shit. Do your real jobs now that I drive yeah. around all day for you. <laughs> I've been trying to avoid my real job. My real job just keeps calling. And I'm like, all right, I'm getting to it. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah. No, I just appreciate you guys. I really do. I appreciate the fact that there's a platform out here. And there's gaining, you know, more platforms like this for people to be able to come out and speak and tell their story. Because honestly, you can't make this shit up. Nobody would believe it if you didn't see it in a movie or in a book. So that's why we did it. You're not going to believe it. This stuff is still happening every day to people. We've got to come together. Quit voting for bullshit laws that you didn't read. Please read them. Like, I lost my right to vote when I was 18. I've watched dead people vote more than me. Use your brain. Walk in that thing and vote and read it when you vote. You know what I mean? Because yeah. some of us end up the victim of those bullshit votes. And you, next time when they put another ballot uh, to Arizona for adult use, you make sure they do what Illinois did and get that social equity shit, how we defined it, because you would be like the number one contender. Yeah, number one contender for getting a vertically integrated cannabis company. Yeah. Well, you know, that's crazy. The only initiatives we get out here are wrote by the people running the dispensaries because they're the ones that take their money and put it into it. So like right now, the ADA just launched another initiative where they want, yeah, we're going to give you home grow six plants, but you can't have over an ounce. That doesn't make what any are sense. we doing? What are we doing? Didn't we just get That's like a sixth of a plant. Well, let's say you're growing indoor. You know kind of what you're doing. You get a quarter pound from the the plant. You'd have to. You know what I mean? Throw a (laughs) quarter of it away. You know what the fuck? It's kind of like it's kind of like the hemp industry stating that the DEA needs to be the one testing your shit and hauling your plants. I mean, come on. That's another hour right there, dude. No remediation. We're just going to arrest all these farmers. God, farmer. Yeah. What? What? My next T-shirt is point zero point. What is it? 0.3 THC equals farmer to felon. I mean, oh this is God. ridiculous. That's all it's doing. If you look at the yeah. 0.3 history in the 70s, it literally says an arbitrary number. Arbitrary. And then if you look at what Dr. Uh, Ethan Russo, uh, and we did email him. He, he seemed like he was interested in coming on the show, but he's got to be yeah. busy, busy. We'll follow back up with him and try to have him on the show to explain <coughs> three classes of cannabis that he has. And it's like basically the high THC shit. And then the high CBD shit, then those are like ratios. So if yep. you know the genetics that you're growing, that's what you were growing, you know? Well, and who can control Mother Nature? 
Who can look over and say, hey, plant, Come on, how we dare you? Create. Like, I mean, what we've, we've done with agriculture is amazing. And, like, same with the, the cannabis plant. I'm sure the cannabis plant was nurtured over generations by humans, just like we nurtured corn or apples or, or anything like that. But, um, yeah. you know, just to trivialize it and to say that it's it's not our grandfather's weed or, or anything like that is just so wrong. It's just lies. It's erroneous, yeah. More lies. Yeah, right. right. Just, I mean, again, what we talked about, we had a farmer, Tom, who's a very big hemp farmer. And, uh, you know, the, the thing we got to convey, what they're trying to do with the lobbyists and shit is to find that marijuana light versus marijuana good time. You know, it, it's all marijuana, but yeah. one's used for my back and the other one's used because it's Friday night. And then sometimes <laughs> the same way. People are still wrapping their head around that, too, though. You know, it's yeah. like just because I can smoke a high THC. I mean, I, I see people who are literally sick who can dab the fuck out of me, like just like the size of a quarter. And I'm like, I will die if I do that. And there's no walking. You won't. You yeah. Won't die. yeah, you're you right. Die. I will never die. It'll just feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. But but the fact that they can consume that much and walk around normal, it's because they have real shit going on that this thing helps them with. You know, yeah. and, and that's that's what people need to wrap their heads around is this plant is not only helpful, it's not only a, a, a good time. But also, it has never killed anybody. It's never, you know. Let's let's uh, 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 let the consumer uh, uh, decide what level they want to be at when they when they voluntarily consume this product. You know. Right. Absolutely, I agree a thousand percent. Especially when you got half a million people dying from alcohol and tobacco every oh year. Like, come on, man. For All right, Chris. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And Miggy, it was great to see you again. And we will be back next Sunday with another activist hour. <laughs>